Hey friends, Dave Geister here. This is one of our Monstrous Musings episodes where Scott and I give Mary useless life advice and we sometimes get a chance to chat with authors, artists, movie makers, and monster kids. This time around, we are joined by the oh-so-talented and delightful Heather A. Wixon. Heather was born, raised, and lived in the Chicago suburbs until she followed her dreams and moved to Los Angeles in 2009. A longtime veteran in the world of horror entertainment journalism, Heather fell in love with genre films at a very early age and has spent more than a decade as a writer and supporter preserving the history of horror and science fiction cinema. Throughout her career, she has contributed to several notable websites, including Fangoria, Dread Central, TerrorTube, and FearNet, and she currently serves as a managing editor for Daily Dead, which has been her home since 2013. She's also written for both Fangoria Magazine and Remind Magazine. Heather's latest book project, Monsters, Makeup and Effects, Volumes 1 and 2, are available for purchase, and Volumes 3 and 4 are on their way. Was that in, was that your intention from the very beginning that it was going to be several volumes? No, I mean all of this. I, I guess if we're, we're just sort of jumping in, I, all of this actually just sort of started for me back in like 2016 when I did this initial book called Monster Squad, uh, which came out through a different publisher. Okay. And basically, I have been such a huge fan of special effects artists for so long, and realized. Um, through other work that I had done, because I used to do the series called Stan Winston Week on Daily Dead, and awesome. I want, <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to do sort of a tribute to Stan as a, as a person, not just as an artist, but as a person, because yep. uh, I'd always heard such good things about him. And I realized I was doing an interview, and it might have been with like Howard Berger or somebody like that, and they were saying to me, they were like, you know, nobody ever asks about this stuff. Yeah, and I was like, really. And they're like, no, like to, and most of the people that I, I interviewed early on, especially were saying like, you know, people always came to them for like sort of these, well, how did you do it type of articles? Never about their experiences, never about like, you know, their own personal journeys as artists or things like that. And that was like when I was like, well, that seems silly because these are the people that you know, in most cases, like they make us fall in love with these movies. Like Creature from the Black Lagoon is an amazing movie, but we love one of the things that hooks us is that creature. Yeah. You know? Or and e. exactly. And so I set out initially because I'd gotten friendly with a bunch of different effects folks over the years. And I was like, well, if I can get 20 people to talk to me, I'll be great. And but I had like this like laundry list. It was basically like I created this list of like all of the different like effects and things that I grew up loving. And then it was like, let's see if these people will talk to me. And then it just kind of spiraled from there. And then originally after I did monster squad, I didn't love my publisher. And I was just like, I want to go elsewhere and do this in a different way. Um, but initially this was actually supposed to come out under Fangoria back when they were doing book publishing. Oh, oh wow. okay. yeah. yeah. And it was going to be like this big two volume set uh, with like, and we were going to hit a hundred interviews, which, I don't know if I don't know that I have the stamina anymore <laughs> to do more. Oh man! Um, but then everything sort of happened there where they had to kind of readjust things, you yep. know, at their yep. organization. And yep. so I went and found uh, AM Inc. slash Dark Inc. Um, actually through Robert Kurtzman, oh, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they were just like, in when I talked to Michael, my publisher there, and he was just like, you know, I'd love to see if we could do this like uh, like a four volume set, and I was like really he's like oh yeah this is amazing like this is this is the stuff that like movie fans really should be hearing and i was like oh that's so cool um so yeah it was just one of those things where initially it started off where like if i can get 20 people to talk to me cool but then it just kept growing and kept growing and um you know i feel extremely fortunate that it's been able to take on the life that it has but it's also been like almost seven years of my life and <laughs> yep. i'm tired <laughs> well, i'm sure you are 
And for anybody who just who dropped into the podcast late, we're, we're talking with Heather Wixon. Uh, and, and of course, if you rewind the podcast, do you actually, do you rewind podcast? You don't, do, don't you? You, you don't. You can rewind podcasts. No, we're going to say rewind it because Scott and I are ancient and we think in analog yes. terms. But yeah, yeah. if you rewind it, you'll be able to get Heather's bio, which is long and fascinating. But I'm not going to not going to read it over again right here. But I, I you, you will catch it at the very beginning. But, but uh, Heather's talking about... Um, uh, really, uh, <laughs> what I think is, is an amazing, I was going to say trilogy, but but if there are four books, what what do we call it? A quad? Uh... An opus? <laughs> yeah, opus. I like opus. That sounds so fancy. Okay, let's call it opus. <laughs> uh, and, and that's, uh, you know, monsters, uh, makeup and effects and conversations w- with uh, cinema's greatest artists. And Heather, I think you've done us all a great service by, 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 by uh, basically creating this. Uh, I have actually only read the second one, and 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 I pretty much devoured it. So now I'm going to go back and reorder the first one, and then as soon as possible, the third one. And from a personal standpoint, I can say that when I was younger, I was much more interested in the technical aspects of how the effects were done, uh, as as a um, as a frustrated uh, special effects guy who never never even really dabbled in that realm. Uh, at this point in my life, I love stories about you know people and how people got to where they are and the trials and tribulations. And uh, these interviews are just fantastic. Uh, how many of them were done in 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 person? Were you able to get together with many people, or is it like what's happened with most of us, where you've had to do a lot of it remotely? Yeah, honestly, most of them, I would say the majority were done remotely. But I think also sure. too, it was like sometimes it's almost more natural just to have like a phone call with people Yes, where you're just kind of sitting and gabbing like your old friends. Um, yep. And it kind of just sort of people's defenses come down a little bit. Yeah. Um, and also too, it's like, I've done interviews where like I've sat at a Starbucks for three and a half hours and you're just like, Oh, I feel exhausted after that. Uh, and you're watching <laughs> people like going around and stuff like that, where it's, it's, yeah. you know, some of the people I've spoken to were like for upwards of four or so hours. And it's just so much easier to them just being like their own environment at home and things like that. And then also too, some of the people that I've spoken to are, you know, from outside the States. So there's always mm-hmm. like the timing constraints right. and things like that. Right. Um, like one of the interviews I did for book one was screaming Mad George. And I had to be up at four thirty AM for that interview. <laughs> wow. Where does screaming Mad George live? He's back in Japan. He is. Okay. All right. Well, that, would make, moved, that, would, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. He moved back years ago because his, his father had been sick. Okay. Um, And then I think once his father had passed, he just decided to stay there and he teaches and does really crazy wild, like art exhibitions and stuff over there. Yeah. So. Do you know if he's worked on any uh, film stuff lately? I, I know that there's been a few people who's, I know there's people who've reached out to him. I don't know that he's really done it. He's, I know he created a few years ago his own short films. Like he had a couple of different short films um, yeah. that I actually I tried to get him in touch with Shutter, and I don't know if it just didn't quite work out or whatnot. Okay. Um, but I think he's just kind of doing it for himself these days. Well, that I think for a lot of people that could be the dream, you know, uh, especially anybody who's who's had time in the trenches working on movies, you know, for for a few decades. Uh, you know, there are no doubt any number of ups and downs with that. And so I'm sure any artist who can just simply sit in their own world and create is is a happy individual. Yeah. And I think, too, it's like, you know, it's such a, a tough industry, I think, in general, because it's like you're an artist and you want to create and you're you're driven by, you know, this passion that you have. But ultimately, you're delivering goods. So mm-hmm. it's this weird intersection of art and commerce where ultimately... Yeah you know, you're trying to be the best artist you can be, but some producer could be like, well, that's not what we want, even though it's the most amazing thing ever created. <laughs> so then you have to like go back and it's, it's, it's tough. Like I give, I, I give all these artists, I give anybody really honestly working in Hollywood a lot of credit because, you know, we all have an ego to a certain degree and like having to sometimes put that on the back burner for the sake of whatever you're delivering to your clients or the people you're working for, things like that. It can be really tough. Um, and you know, so it's, it's, that was one of the things that like, I really wanted to showcase was like, you know, 
I've I've read articles about like how they did video drum and things like that, but like understanding like the thought process behind it, or like for example, one of my favorites growing up was like the effects from The Fly and the stuff that Chris Wayless and his team were able oh, to Oh God, do. yes! Oh, and to evoke yeah. such empathy from such a monstrosity, where like yeah. I cried the first time I saw it, and like yeah. just understanding like the process of everything that went into. You know, not only doing all the Jeff Goldblum makeups, but then the Brundle Fly and then eventually Brundle Pod characters, like, yep. was just so fascinating to me. Like, I, you know, I'm very much like you, where I did grow up reading a lot of the, the how-to books and things like that, because it was so cool. And back then, that was like, I think a lot of people's entry points. So yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. this is, you know, this isn't trying to replace that stuff. It's just sort of like a companion where it's like, oh, you read about how Tom Savini was able to do this stuff on Dawn of the Dead. Well, here's what, you know, he had to say about like his experiences working on it and things like that. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I'm never going to take the, pro like the place of the, the how to's and stuff like that. Cause it, frankly, that, you know, information is invaluable and I love that it still exists out there, but, you know, hopefully this gives people a little more idea in terms of like the creative process. And I also think too, highlighting a lot of artists that maybe people didn't even know about coming into it like there's always going to be the bigger like the names that have gotten attention but I also wanted to make sure that I spotlighted a lot of folks too that maybe haven't had the chance to kind of be out there and get the recognition that they deserve. Yeah. Heather are there any people in particular that you were just uh floored by their work and think that they should get more public recognition for that work? Yeah you know it's it's funny um one of my big ones was Tony Gardner and he, Tony's actually somebody who I'd met um, a few years ago for an event that they did to support the release of Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, which is a movie I love. Um, and what they did is they actually had a couple of us journalists go out there for the day. They turned us into zombies and then we interviewed Tony yeah. um, in makeup, which was a really interesting process. I love That's it. Fun. I love That's it. really fun. I and the funny thing is, like, I'm so like averse to contact lenses. Oh no! So I, I walked in there and I was like, okay, we could do the whole thing, but you're not putting contacts in my eyes. And they're like, oh, okay. And then at the end, like, the contact doctor comes in and he's like, we're gonna do this. And I was like, no, 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 we're not. And he's like, no, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna be fine. Yeah. He's like, we're just gonna do it quick. And they did it, and it was just like. It was uncomfortable because actually I'm not really good at putting things near my eyes and stuff like that. But I was like, oh, I did it. I really did this. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was interesting because like before, like I knew Tony had done stuff with the with the the later Chucky films, but I didn't know much about him. And then I started like reading up on all these things where he'd like worked on like Army of Darkness and Dark Man and all these things. And I was like, wow, I was like, I had no idea about all these things. And then, like, after talking to him at that interview and then sort of talking to him after the formal interview was done and just looking around his shop and stuff like that, and I was just like, wow, this is, like, all really interesting. And then hearing his stories of, like, when he was, like, a kid, like, he, like, went to USC, I think it was the school that he went to, and had, like, you know, was in marching band and decided, no, this isn't what I want to do. And he's like, I want to do makeup and, like tried to get Rick Baker to mentor him. And I think Rick's dad stepped in because uh, Rick's dad was also an artist. Um, and then like Tony was just so hell bent on trying to meet his heroes. Um, and Mary, I love that you brought up E.T. because he actually created his own E.T. Oh. Went, went to Universal dressed in a red hooded sweatshirt with a bike and basically just walked onto the lot as pretending to be a performer at Universal, because back then they had people walking around, you know, dressed up, uh -huh. promoting E.T. and stuff like that. And he got in and he uh -huh. was like, he'd camp out at Spielberg's office and things like that. And I was just like, this is wild. Like, you couldn't do that kind of stuff today. No. Um, you know, so he's one of those. And I love the fact that, like, thankfully, because, you know, I do think over the last five or so years, people have become a little more aware of a lot of this stuff and the people behind it. Um, I'll never take credit for that, but I do think that we're starting to get into a place where people are starting to recognize that projects are go far beyond just cast and director. Not that there's nothing, you know, not that we can't revere them, but there's so much more that goes into these things. And there's so uh, much artistry that's lost in time. I know Dave, 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 Dave has got so much is documented about 
about the the production process or on the on the side of actors and directors, but not as much on the side of the special effects folks, people who are creating art that could and should be in museums. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, too, one of my other things, and maybe this will become a passion project on the years, but like, I think production designers are an, are another lot of people who just yep. don't get the credit that they deserve um, yep. because they just they build worlds. Yep. And if you don't believe those worlds, you don't you don't buy into the movie. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yeah, just like Tony is like one of those. And like, I love through sort of this new resurgence of Chucky with the TV show and things like that, that he's kind of coming to the forefront and his daughter just did a documentary called living with Chucky. Oh, um, really? Sort of about her that. experiences. And it's super fun. Like she looks at the entire child's play Chucky series. Um, but it sort of comes from this perspective of like, you know, basically in a lot of ways, her dad was Chucky because he was the puppeteer and things like that. And I think also think too, it's like, it's kind of cool that I think Tony is like the, uh, one of the only special effects artists who kills himself, not himself playing a character, but himself on screen uh in seat of chucky oh wow <laughs> so, like, it's not, he's not a character it's special effects artist tony gardner there on he the screen who gets decapitated <laughs> that's wonderful which is pretty awesome yeah and it's really cool too because she she frames a lot of the documentary with like her sort of experiences you know growing up with chucky being a presence in her life and also with Fio fiona doreff um and sort of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so it's like the, it's it's a really fascinating and fun uh documentary if you get a chance to watch so where where can where can we find it it got nabbed for distribution but i don't think it's been released formally yet mm. if i'm not mistaken okay. um, but i think it's supposed to be due out soon it did like the festival circuit sort of late 2022 sure um so i think i can't remember it might have been yellow veil pictures who picked it up so I would imagine, honestly, like if it doesn't end up on Shutter, I would be shocked. Yeah, yeah. Well, we I will bet. be we will be watching for it, and and since we stalk you on social media, you know, <laughs> as soon as you mention it, as soon as you, as soon as you mention it somewhere, we'll be jumping all over it too. <laughs> I will. I will definitely be mentioning it once I, once we see a release date for sure, because I really had a lot of good a lot of fun with it. That's great. Well, kind of, kind of just um, to to add my own two cents worth to everything you've just said. There were a lot of names of artists that I simply did not recognize in volume two. And, um, and I was kind of embarrassed that I didn't because I certainly knew their work, um, which I think speaks to the whole point of, you know, why, why it's important to do this. Uh, and then the fact that it, it's basically told uh, through their, their words, their story. Uh, and, and that story is something that's applicable to just about anybody who works in the creative realm, you know, whether you're a writer, a painter, uh, a performer, there are so many, you know, um, common threads there and uh you know let, if i could if i could back up though as we are wont to do <laughs> go down a rabbit hole uh would you mind taking us back to your childhood and okay. and, and 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 the movie or movies that really grabbed you i know you've talked about this you know, in other interviews and stuff, but uh, just for, for, for our sake, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, totally. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm Gen X, so I'm, I'm a bit older um, as well. So I think one of my very first like memories um, in a, in a movie theater was actually American Werewolf in London and age oh, three, perfect. which is not perfect. a movie you should be taking a three-year-old to, but no, I was just going to say, if you were a Gen X or how did you see that movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, you know, in the eighties, babysitters were expensive, and I was being raised by a single mom. So, okay, you know, there you, you go. Know. But I also think too, it's like you know, <laughs> going to movies so young, it was just I. It made me a really good person in a movie thing, like because I didn't talk, like I was always well behaved and things like yeah. that. My mom, I never had to be taken out of a theater for being too disruptive, even as a you small were child. transfixed or shocked in some cases, I'm sure. Yeah, but I, I can still remember that feeling of being really young and like sitting there watching that. And, but it was, and it was, I think it was the movie theater scene in American Werewolf where I was yeah. like, I'm in a movie theater. There's a movie theater in front of me. Yeah. It was yeah. so like surreal in a way. And there's like <laughs> corpses in it. And, 
yeah. you know, and you're just like, I mean, I didn't get the fact that they were in a porn theater, but like, yeah. Yeah. you know, it was just like one of those things where you're just like, oh, wow, this is like really freaky in a way. Um, so that was like a big one for me growing up. And I even... <laughs> As I got older, like anytime American Werewolf would play on TV, like we, my mom and I always watched it and I was always scared. It it, it always scared me as a kid. Um, And so that was definitely like a huge one for me as a young kid. And I think also another big one was The Thing, which I saw at age five. Yes. Again, not a movie I recommend for five-year-olds, but... But no. that movie, like, I believed it. I believed that there were aliens in remote parts of our of our planet. And yeah. if Great. we weren't careful, they were going to get us. <laughs> and I also kind of had grew up with, like, a fear of dogs because I got, like, attacked by a dog when I was really little. So I oh, that, God, movie that movie too. Me. Oh, gosh, you too? Oh. oh, no, I said that movie is just, like, oh. like piling on, like, like childhood traumas, taking it to the extreme, yeah. turning this dog into a, a, a <laughs> lobulous creature. Yeah, I was convinced, like, all dogs were just basically waiting until they were going to transform and, like, destroy us. That's yeah, yeah, I was yeah, completely yeah. convinced. If, if, somebody um, had, if somebody had, you know, handed you an orchid, and a puppy at the same time, I'm pretty sure you would have exploded, right? Because you would have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I oh my not. God, is it coming to get me? <laughs> I, I have to say that that um, you just won the prize because uh, <laughs> we we have an, an, an ongoing um, debate, if you will, with the three of us about, you know, what, when's a good age for kids to see movies? And Scott loves giving Mary and Mary's father a hard time for, for showing her. Jurassic Park at a young age, but you just totally blew yeah, you it won. the water. Oh, yeah, fun hands water. down. Yeah. Scott, can we send? Can we send her a T-shirt? We should send her a T-shirt. Oh yeah, we. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I would. <laughs> I would proudly rock a T-shirt. Yeah, okay. I think it was just like you know, it was just it was different times. Like my best friend, like uh, who lived two down, like two houses down from me, like her parents kind of just watched anything. So it's like we watched Alien at a really young age. I remember. <laughs> Around the same time as like the thing, like I remember we watched Salem's Lot. Oh yeah, like well, that was a TV movie, so I'll cut you some slack for that. Well, it's so good. I mean, it's all so was, like, good. Was the freaky? Because like I knew who Dracula was at that point, and he just looked like a guy to me. But yeah. Barlow, yeah. oh man, creature, and he was haunting. Yeah. Like I've never seen anything like that, and I like he like I sl- I I don't sleep with my curtains open in my bedroom to this very day. You know that, that, that because that's of Salem's wise. Lot. <laughs> <laughs> let me in. Let me in. Yeah. No, nope. I feel like is one of the like entry points or one of the on ramps. Uh, gateway drugs, whatever you want to call it, for like monster kids, because you have the monster kid in the movie who's, you know, yeah. <laughs> doing like painting, painting minis and and looking at makeup effects books and things like that. And uh, that scene with the let me in is even oh, now, God. like it's still so haunting and effective and so ugh, like bone oh, chillingly. Oh man. In 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 the shot the Jeffrey Lewis, you know, digging that digging the opening the grave back up and jumping in. You know, oh my God, that's good stuff. Look, you, 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 I'm practically drooling here thinking about it. Yeah, or him just even just sitting in the rocking chair. Yes, oh yes. And it's God, so yeah. quiet. Oh yeah. And I, and I love that you brought up like the monster kid who's Mark. Um, because like we actually, a few years ago, we did a series on Daily Dead about like our favorite monster kids for movies. Because I think one of my favorite things growing up is whenever I could see myself represented in a horror movie. Sure. So like, mm-hmm. that's why like, I think I love Salem's Lot as much as I because of Mark Petrie. I loved Fright Night because of Charlie Brewster. Like yes, having yes, yes. that sort of representation in movies was just like, hey, like they're kind of misunderstood and they get made fun of, but like they get it. Yep. And I yeah. get it. So it's yep. kind of cool. Yeah. And it almost makes you feel like you're the only, you're the ones making friends with the monsters, but you're also the one holding the monsters at bay. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. well put. Write that down, Mary. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, it it uh, this is this is actually way too much fun because you are, without a doubt, the ultimate monster kid. I mean, you know, 
it's there's, it's, you know, it's I, I don't obvious. know if I would claim that title because there's so many like out there, and honestly, like most of these special effects artists are the same way, probably even more so because a lot of them, like I didn't have access to famous monsters growing up. Oh sure, um, sure. But I did have Fangoria, and I was always reading Fangoria as a kid growing up. Oh, but like God. just hearing how like they would like just you know happen to like come across like Frankenstein one night as the midnight movie and oh, how yeah. it changed their lives. Like it just it makes you realize for as much as like horror fans kind of feel like outcasts, I think we all have that moment of the of we discover something. Yeah. And yep. it pulls us in and that's what makes us love this genre so much. Yeah. And I yep. think to me that's like this unifying thing. Like, you know, part of the thing is like with all these interviews, like of course I'm showcasing these artists and the things that they've created and things like that. But ultimately, I want to make them accessible in a way where everybody realizes, like, that they're just like us. Like, they're 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 just they're fans too. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that like has has meant a lot to me is that I've had a couple people whose kids have read um, some of these books and realized that like making monsters wasn't this weird thing that they could never do. That they can do mm-hmm. it too. And if they just, you know, the love of monsters and creatures and things like that is what was this catalyst for everybody for, for most people i would say because there's a few people in, who kind of came in from different as, avenues but sure it, yeah i would say that's a that's a really at least for me uh in reading interviews is their the artist's experience the you know what what bonded them to this genre is always um aside from, you know, their experience in, in their, their craft is always really interesting to read about to me. Um, you know, how they, what, what, what made them enamored with the genre and what led them to, to fall, you know, primarily working in this sort of field. Um, that, that's utterly fascinating. Yeah. Also, what's interesting too, is that, and there's been this like sort of like thread with a few different artists, which I thought was really fascinating is that for some of these folks, like they grew up loving magic, which I don't feel like mm-hmm. is a thing that really kids get to explore as much anymore. Maybe yeah. there's th- that sense of wonder just doesn't exist in this, in our society these days. But a lot of these artists actually grew up like studying magic. Um, and a few of them have even like performed at like the magic castle here in Los Angeles and things like mm-hmm. that. And for me, it's such the perfect tie in because ultimately special effects are like the ultimate magic trick. Absolutely, like, to create something in camera that everybody believes is real, yep. and being able yep. to do it in a way that, like, when it's over, you're like, "How did they do that?" Yeah, and I just think that was really fascinating. Like, one of my favorite people to talk to was Mike Elizalde, and he was a guy who, you know, growing up, he grew up in like in a poor neighborhood, very working class family. You know, it wasn't like he could afford art school and things like that, but his, like sense of wonder came from like learning magic and he would do magic shows for his family and his neighbors and then eventually like discovered you know creatures and things like that and you know basically was able to make a career out of it but he wasn't a kid who like you know could go to like big schools or anything like that he had to carve the path out for himself so you know, it's, it's all fascinating. Like, it's, it's funny because like one of my things was like, oh, if I do all these interviews, like, is it just going to be the same thing over and over and over again? But no two people have had the same path and the same journey, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah, Yeah, that's incredible. Was there anyone in particular that you were, that you felt like you really connected with or identified with their journey um, in, in working with monsters as uh, like with your journey, getting into that world too? You know, I, I honestly, I think it's a, probably a lot of the female artists. And I think ultimately because, it, it, especially in the 80s, you know, I think it very much was a boys club. And I mean, it, in, in still many ways it is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have artists like V. Neal who were able to come out and just totally kick everybody's ass. <laughs> so, like all over the place with everything that she did. Um, or somebody like Michelle Burke, who grew up like one of eight kids in Ireland who set out honestly to become like just a beautician makeup person. Um, And she went from Ireland to Canada and sort of fell into everything because she got there right as sort of the Canadian horror boom was happening Mm -hmm. and caught the attention of Tom Berman. Mm -hmm. 
um, and somebody else, and I'm totally blanking on the other artist's name, and then was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, you can create characters, and then suddenly became, like, the go-to person for Tom Cruise and Mike Myers, uh, which is pretty amazing, considering those two personalities aren't exactly people that typically allow people into their spheres, if you will, um, mm -hmm. but to be able to work with them so successfully for years is is pretty astonishing. Um, and even somebody like Aaron Kruger Mikash, which um, she does, you know, a lot of TV stuff, um, a lot of stuff through with Ryan Murphy through American Horror Story. But it's so cool to kind of see how her career has evolved because now she's like, and it's the one thing I will credit Ryan Murphy with is like, I don't always love what he does, but he is so about presenting people with opportunities. And like, Aaron's like now producing with him. Um, wow which is pretty cool because that doesn't happen for a lot of special effects artists to kind of be right. brought in at that level. And that doesn't happen for a lot of women in film in general. Yeah. Which is pretty, yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So it's, 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 so I think for me, because like when I started off, you know, kind of in the entertainment journalism realm um, over 15 years ago, like I probably could count on one hand, the amount of women that I encountered yeah. Uh, in this field um yeah. so for me like to see how much we've how so how far we've come where i almost think you know we're at least 50 50 we might actually skewer a little more female than we do male these days in fact really? which is kind of amazing i love it um, and it's incredible but it's it's one of those like coming into it like i had to fight a little bit to get people to just take me seriously to listen to understand the kind of work that i wanted to do um, because there's, you know, it, it, I could have taken the easy route and just sort of done the fun, weird, you know, sort of SEO friendly type of stuff, but I was never interested in that. I wanted to tell people stories mm -hmm. and that's always been my focus, whether I get four minutes or 10 minutes or 40 minutes with somebody, you know, I'm never going to ask the easy question, which is kind of to my detriment. Um, <laughs> And, but it's just, it's not how I'm built. And so to have been able to enjoy the time that I have in this, in this world is, has meant a lot to me, but I did have to fight for it a lot. And honestly, I will say one of the biggest things that kind of helped me sort of come full circle was when I went to Daily Dead in 2013. So that yeah. actually mm -hmm. I'm getting ready to celebrate my 10th anniversary with them later this year. Um, I was just going to say, would you mind talking just a little bit about, about that whole experience? Yeah. So, I mean, originally like how it all started was like, I kind of was just, my whole personal life was in shambles in like 2007 where I wasn't happy. I was working like regular jobs. I was in a marriage. I was just not really comfortable in it anymore because I didn't know who I was. Yep. And I wanted to get back to writing because I'd always loved writing. Um, and I came across this ad on Craigslist for this site called TerrorTube. And they took me on. They were like, hey, let's, you know, have you do some reviews. So I started there. And then I kind of um, started to get friendly with some folks in sort of the horror community. Um, one of them being Adam Green. And cool. she brought me in the fold to uh, basically sort of chronicle... Um, the production of this movie called grace that went to Sundance. And it was funny. I was actually at Sundance in 2009 for that movie. And while I was there, um, the previous uh, editor for dread central reached out to me and was like, Hey, you know, I see you're at Sundance. Do you want to do some stuff for us? Which was funny because previously I had actually, reached out to them when they said they were looking for writers and I couldn't even get an email back. <laughs> so it shows you how Sundance could actually change things a little bit. Wow. Um, and also back then it wasn't Sundance didn't, wasn't into sort of allowing a lot of reporters in there. So when I, the first year I ever covered Sundance, I didn't cover it as a journalist. Like I had to go and pay, buy my tickets and just do it yep. um, because they weren't, they weren't about that. Uh -huh. um, sure. And so I spent like four and a half years uh, at Dread Central just doing my thing there. And I was able to do stuff that I was really proud of, like creating Indie Horror Month um, and just doing a lot of different features and things like that. And things got strange, I guess is the best way I'll put it. Um, and I just knew I needed to I, honestly, like when things started to kind of get a little up, 
well, topsy turvy there. I was, I was actually going to quit. I was going to be just done. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jonathan James, um, who runs Daily Dead, reached, you know, we'd become friends over the years. And he was just like, hey, why don't you just come over and start doing some stuff with us? And what's cool is like when I came in there, like Daily Dead was still very much like building its audience. Right. And right. I'm so proud of what we've been able to do in the 10 years that I've been there, where we've really been able to establish ourselves as one of, you know, the I'm not going to say premiere because bloody disgusting is always going to exist, but we've really put in the work to establish ourselves in the horror community. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I'm so yeah. proud of the work that everybody has done there. Like, it's not just me. Like it's, it's, it's been this whole sort of team effort over the years. And we've had like some folks who have like had to take time off to do other projects. Honestly, I've been on sabbatical from there for a while because I'm working on a different book project that's going to get uh, announced very soon. Um, you know, so it's, it's just been great to see everybody's careers grow and really like just become something special. Like, and I just didn't, I never felt that at dread. It was just like, here's the stuff you're writing about, go do it. And to be able to have this opportunity to really build something at daily dead has been amazing. And it's like, and everyone's like, Oh, like, well, where would you go next? And I'm like, I'm not like <laughs> when I, and I know there's going to come a time where I'm probably going to like step away from the typical journalism stuff, but it's never going to be to go to a different site. It just means I'm done with that facet of my career and I'm yeah. focused elsewhere. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, I have to ask you, so, um, what do you do for fun? <laughs> oh, gosh, I work. Well, and I, I mentioned just because with <laughs> Scott and Miriam and myself, what we do for fun, you know, I mean, we, we, we're, you know, we, we're just enough alike in some respects that, you know, it, it's it's uh, miniature gaming related or horror movie related or history related or something like that. But it all keeps sort of coming back to the same little make-believe world, if you will. So I just... I find myself wondering what you do outside of, say, Daily Dead that, that, that uh, you know, sort of helps you recharge your batteries, if you will. I'm, I'm getting better at that because, frankly, I'm somebody who's been so conditioned to work too mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. And, like, honestly, like, because, like, these days, like, I have a day job where I'm working insane hours. I literally just finished my college education like less than three weeks ago. Hey, congratulations. Um, for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Outstanding. Um, I'm raising a glass in your honor. No, seriously, that's 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 fantastic. Oh, thank you. I'm raising my coffee cup. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and it was that was just something that like because of the, the pandemic and stuff, I was like, well, maybe it's time to go back. Yeah. Um and I just I just have this sort of penchant if you will to just keep working all the time but but I think for me when I need that sort of recharge and I need to reset myself it's honestly the drive-in and I know that sounds weird because it's like movies still but like the drive-in for me is kind of like my church because one it was like such a huge thing for me when I was a kid because like we spent pretty much almost every weekend at the drive-in because it was a really great way and cheap way to see movies and we'd watch everything um and some like there's like times where I'm just like, I need, I need a break. And I'm like, let's go to the drive-in. Oh yeah. Um, And you know, and it's, it's just, that's like, for me is like my haven. Like that's where I go. And like, I mean, I do like the geeky things too. Like we play games and stuff. We do a lot of like trivial pursuit and I'm like, I love Scrabble. (laughs) I'm, I'm a Scrabble fiend, if you will. You do Um, the world of words, you know, I mean, it, it it makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, I'm getting better about, figuring out like what is it that I do for fun Um, because I've been so work-centered and I think also too just because of the nature sometimes of like entertainment journalism like and especially because of just how much horror entertainment there is out there these days like again when I started it was like you were lucky if you got like two or three movies a month Mm-hmm. where it's like now you're getting multiple movies a month there, it's all within you know there's tons of stuff on tv there's tons of stuff on streaming it's it's impossible to keep up with everything and that's one thing i will like credit like the folks over at bloody disgusting like i don't know how they do it because like they're always on top of everything and i'm just like i'm exhausted reading your re- like your updates and stuff like that i don't know how you guys are doing this yeah. um so you know, it's one of those, like, I'm, I'm sort of relearning how to have fun a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a while, um, but I'm getting there. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm starting to sort of 
appreciate free time a little bit more. But honestly, most of it probably over the next year will be just spent doing book project writing and stuff like that. So well, I think we're we're anxious to hear when 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 the time is right, just what it, what this new uh, this new book yeah. is going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm I'm sort of juggling that on top of monsters and make monsters makeup and effects volume three. Yep. yep. So it's going to be a little bit of a challenge this year, but at least one I've like sort of been able to pull school off of my like my thing of, of like my plate of things to have to worry about, which is nice. So I'll get there. <laughs> Not a doubt. I'm trying to remember if I read recently that, that you it, maybe even just uh, um, as, as a, um, as a personal project, have you, have you worked on any movies? I have. Um, not like of a significant degree. Hmm? Um, I mean, I guess sort of, because like I, I did produce the first uh, installment of the In Search of Darkness series. Oh, oh, wow. yeah. oh there we go. Okay. Yeah. Yep. yep. They, they reached out to me pretty early on, and sure, sure. I brought in a, I, uh, a lot of the talent um, that's been yeah. involved with the series, and um, which was which was a thrill, and also just getting to geek out about movies on camera too, which which was really fun. Well, that was me. the first but, time I remembered seeing you and so i started putting you know name and face together and then your connection with yeah. daily dead and then when i realized that you had the the, the uh, you know special makeup effect books of oh okay it, it all made sense then <laughs> yeah. yeah and it was funny too because even when i was doing those interviews they rarely asked me about the like effects and stuff and i was like you guys yeah. know what i do like great <laughs> like you know what i'm specializing <laughs> in um but yeah so that was that was a really interesting experience for me um, just because I'd never been involved with anything that was like crowdfunding and stuff like that. And to be very honest, when we started, I was like, there's no way that this is going to work as the way that they wanted it to. And yeah. then it just it like it just kept growing and growing and getting bigger. And I was just like, oh, no, I'm completely wrong. And it's been amazing to see what that series has been able to become. Uh, I know the third part is actually going to be on Shutter at the end of January, finally. Okay, um, we, we had uh, we had David on. A couple months ago talking about it and so i'm looking forward to uh seeing the next part yeah yeah it's it's so funny because like when i so part one i watched part two i haven't watched it and it was only because when i did a lot of the interviews for part two it was right sort of in the first few months of the pandemic oh. and it was one yeah. of the first times i had to go out and take off my mask and i actually had a panic attack like sure. as they as they were asking me questions and it was like I had to stop. Oh wow. And I felt like I did terribly. And everyone's like, no, no, you're good. And I was just like, no, there's no way. So I've been really kind of nervous about going back and watching part two. Um part three I think went better. <laughs> I hope. Um, <laughs> I no, I panic really, no panic attacks. No panic attacks. I got to talk about some really fun random stuff in that one. Sure. Um but two is really tough for me because I was just it was like one of those situations where I hadn't been out like that. And my brain, like five minutes in, just kind of shut down. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just need a second. Yep. And I felt really bad because it also it was like um, the director of Blood Diner, and I'm totally blanking on her name. Oh, God. Um, Pick somebody, anybody. Well, of course, we're all I'm on. looking right now. Okay. Um, oh my gosh. Who can get there Jackie, first? Jackie Kong. Okay. Uh, Jackie Kong <laughs> was coming in right after me. So yep. it was kind of like one of those things. And we had to be clear of each other because of COVID. Like, sure. I could be there when she got there. So it was one of those where we were like, okay, let's, I just have to really make the next like hour matter because like I have to get out of here so they can bring in the next person. And I don't want to make Jackie Kong wait. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> that is a lot of pressure. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, so yeah, it's, it, so to be a part of that series has been really um, fantastic for me, especially as somebody who grew up during the 1980s. And like, I know that there's different eras in horror that have pushed boundaries, probably in more significant ways. Um, I would almost argue sometimes that 90s horror had a lot more to say than 80s horror um, just because of different things that we were like, you know, sort of the responses to the Iraq war and things like that and, you know, gentrification and there was, there was a lot more like sort of underlying social commentary, I think, to a lot of that stuff. Like there's definitely stuff in there, especially if you look at pretty much Carpenter's whole output of the 80s. 
Yeah. But I don't know if I would say Night of the Demons was particularly saying a whole lot. It's just a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and obviously there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you know. Absolutely. And that's the thing, though. It's like you don't get to 90s horror unless you have the 80s horror. And like, so for me, just seeing like how wild movies could get the amount of different like production houses that were putting this like these films out there and like. You just never knew what you were going to get. Like it was just always, it was like the wild west in a lot of ways, which I oh, miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause everything these days is so calculated and not that that's wrong. I get it. It's a business. You got, you want to make your money back, but you know, there were so many risks being taken during the eighties, which is phenomenal. And of course now though, there's, there's really this explosion of all these indie horror films that, with low, really low budgets and, you know, it's 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 granted it's a very mixed bag as to what kind of stuff you get, but it makes it that much more interesting. I think it's it just seems like now, and it could be a perception thing on my part that there's so many uh, inexpensive films or or low budget films that are out there that seem to be getting wide distribution or that that didn't before, you know, because of social media. Yeah, and honestly, that was one of the things that was sort of one of the impetuses behind doing um, Indie Horror Month. Mm -hmm. Originally, like I started mm -hmm. that in 2011. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Was just because, like, you know, we spent so much time focused on studio projects that I wanted to give these movies that deserved a platform the chance to kind of put themselves out there. Um, and I agree. Like, for me, like, you know, I love horror that comes from all different avenues, but like, the, the boundary pushing stuff really is was happening like on the indie side of things. And I think what's great now is I think because of sort of how social media has evolved that you do get these indie movies that are getting to start to like have that kind of momentum. Uh, I mean, you saw it with like Terrifier 2 last year. Um, where, yeah, I mean, that a movie, perfect example, it, right? Yeah, it exploded out of, you know, I mean, it was like they had their hardcore fans, but they were able to win over the people who hated the first movie. Uh, which was includes myself because <laughs> I was just like, I don't need a sequel to Terrifier. That movie is fine. Art's okay. It's an interesting character, but they came at it, you know, completely with like sort of a, a, a totally new, unique, like direction for it in terms of what they really wanted to do with this character in this world and like what he could do and like just pushing things. And I was just like, oh okay like i'm like a two and a half hour slasher come on and then i was like at the end i was like i probably could have watched another 20 minutes if i'm being perfectly honest oh that's <laughs> remarkable wow yeah. i wasn't expecting that yeah i feel like streaming has changed the game when it comes to things like indie movies because i feel like it really has like these oh, i know yeah. i know there's been a lot of conversation around uh distribution and uh what is it like uh pay downs for for crew and folks like that um but i really do think that you were we're seeing sort of a renaissance of indie horror because of streaming services and especially streaming services like shutter i was gonna say shutter really is the place that i think became this haven for independent horror yeah, and the yeah, fact that they yeah. even have a have sections for short films is like exactly exactly amazing. yeah i love we love shutter we absolutely love shutter here yeah and it's like i know it sucks because like they sort of got caught up in all the amc drama right and yeah. the, you know yeah. and all that stuff that over the last month or so which is a bummer yeah, but like right. ultimately like the fact that like so many movies are able to like have this platform because like for example, like Phil Tippett's Mad God, like is yep. a, an astonishing work of art. Yes. Where yep. else were people going to discover that movie? That's Maybe right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. We watched that one, and we I, we all kind of knew that we would enjoy the movie because of Phil Tippett's background and just the artistry of of miniatures um, and stop motion is something that we're all really excited about. Um, but holy shit, that movie! I think all three of us, as we watch it together, like Jaws on the floor. It's yeah. it's one of those movies where I don't think, even if you think you're prepared, you're not prepared. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's very little I could prepare, can compare it to. A little bit of Jan Svankmeyer or something like that. But but just totally, totally out there. I, I 
Yeah, and it really it, it it felt more like we were watching a fine art installation somewhere as opposed to a movie, which was fine by me. And to your point, yeah, where, where else would you find that? You know, in, in what other streaming service would Mad God have a chance of being seen? You know? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. also to your point, like the the work of these artists, I think should qualify as fine art. And I think Mad God is sort of the perfect example of that, where that's like our jaws were on the floor because of the the intricacy of of the the stop motion animation, where I've never seen anyone do anything like that. And it was so transfixing and magical, but also hearing Phil Tippett's uh, like interviews with Phil Tippett about the dozens of people, you know, dozens plus, you know, people who helped him with that and how he brought them into that, uh, into that project, not just to finish the project, but also to teach people how to do stop motion uh, was really, really cool. Oh yeah, totally. And especially because like, if you, this is a movie that like he started on like, basically like around the days of robocop which yeah. is like right, yeah. right what yeah. and you know and i think that's a testament you know like of taking a really terrible situation and trying to make the best of it which is the pandemic yeah. and being able to be like okay well everything's shut down what do i do you know what yeah. i've been working on this thing for decades now yeah. is my time <laughs> to get this done and yeah. you know and it was a, a crap situation for everybody in so yeah. many ways and it's and we're still dealing with the ramifications of everything yeah. in terms of oh, yeah. you know people's know. health and stuff but like to be able to t kind of find just a little sliver of goodness in it and i think that comes in in projects like mad god yeah. um yeah. or even something like uh uh justin benson and aaron moore had something in the dirt oh god we love oh, those yeah. guys we love no, i haven't no. seen that mary have you scott have you i've seen it yeah i like yeah, we have a huge crush on those guys, and they're 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 they're. Oh, I think collectively we all do. <laughs> they're <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> I think it's... Spring is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's oh just... God, it's so good. And I it think, makes for... cry. Yeah. yeah, and I think too that's like because their guys like the situation that they were in making that movie in the pandemic would seem daunting to anybody else, but that's kind of like been their career. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, it, it it seemed perfectly natural, doesn't it, for them to pull it off under those yeah. circumstances? And, yeah, and those guys, like, I adore, like, I years ago, I was able to do, um, for a few years, I did, like, this little mini film festival here in Los Angeles, and one of the things that I, as soon as I knew I could get this theater and I could show movies, like especially independent movies, the first movie that I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to show resolution. Oh, yeah. Like, there's no way mm -hmm. I can do this without showing resolution and just being able to showcase that. And it wasn't like we had, we had like maybe like 40 people in the theater or something like that. But they were people who came in blind, had no idea. And I had so many people come up afterwards saying like, that was so cool. I never would have discovered this movie had it not been for this. And yeah, to me, I, I was like, yes, yeah. like, that is awesome. So, and just seeing like what they've been able to do. And like, that's again, one of the things like I love so much about like independent cinema is that you just, you know, it's, it's always good to have budgets, but you know, if you've got the creative spark and you've got the idea and you've got the story, you can really go out there and, and do anything if you're motivated. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think we've all heard time and time again, that often the problem is the bigger the budget, you know, the more people you have standing over you tapping their toes and you know tapping on the shoulder and telling you no we, you know hurry up we've got no we've got to include this or you can't do that and and so uh, there's something apparently to be said for having a smaller budget and not having a lot of people stirring the pot while you're trying to create your work of art you know yeah right but that being said these guys are both now involved in right things that are huge budgets um they directed a couple episodes of moon Knight, and i I don't think they were producers, but um, they're also directing an episode of Loki. So they're like, they're, they're, Disney's got them. They are in the Marvel world. They are. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll be honest. I have, got their ticket to ride. <laughs> I, I have slightly mixed feelings about that because, which is ridiculous, of course. But I, I, I love what they've done so far, you know, and, and have to believe that those limitations may be part of what is created the look and the feel well even with their, their, even their, with their you know their work so far 
even with their commercial success, because even before something in the dirt, they had directed an episode of the Twilight Zone and two episodes of Archive 81. Oh, um, so they had been in that big budget world. Um, but it seems like uh, something in the dirt really made me excited because it it felt true to their DIY indie sort of roots, um, even with their commercial success. So I, I'm all I'm very excited to see what they continue to do because Spring is one of the it's it's the greatest horror love story of all time, <laughs> in my humble opinion, or damn near. It's beautiful. It's so sweet. It is. I, I I watch it like every sort of February when I'm feeling. Oh, good like, for you. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, but yeah, oh, you know, it's such a good movie. Yeah, I will say that one of the things that I've noticed over the years, and is that I, I I think for I think there was a certain point where studios realized that because of the successes that were happening within the world of independent horror, like especially something like paranormal activity coming out and doing like that kind of stuff. Like, you know, it, it is as much as independent horror will always have my heart to see the strides that like studio horror has taken over the last few years. Like we're still getting the very calculated movies in terms of like, you know, franchises and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'll, I will show up for scream 25 when that happens. I'm there. Um, <laughs> But to see movies like kind of come out of nowhere, like, you know, and I think one of the big, you know, obviously one of the biggest success stories of that was like, of course, Get Out. Um, oh, yes. Yep. But yep. even like, you know, in this weekend alone, like we have Megan, who is a mm -hmm. completely uh, original story, yep. not tied yep. to any IP. Um, yep. And it made 30 over $30 million. And yeah which is pretty amazing. Or like you look at smile and barbarian last year. Yes. Like, yes. you mm -hmm. know, we need the Hellraisers. We need the Chucky. We, you know, we need those characters that we love, but I'm really excited for whenever something comes out of left field for me from the yeah. studios too, that can yep. kind of surprise me. Yep. I mean, holy yep. crap. A24 has built their entire brand on that by now, practically. They have. Although I will say like, I'm, I'm sort of, maybe it's cause I'm, I'm, I'm older, but like, I don't I don't necessarily love how people being A24 fans has become like a personality. <laughs> oh, I feel you and I hate it. <laughs> like I love A24 and everything they do I'm so excited for like them and Neon to me have done such really great fantastic things on that side of the, of of the, like the, the the board. But also just like there's some kids who get really into A24 like it's do you live know or die. <laughs> You know how many boys I see on Tinder who are like, I like indie movies, like things from A24. I'm like, my guy, A24 <laughs> is not an indie brand. It's not an indie thing. <laughs> I mean, it's like, indie, great, yeah. but... <laughs> it's like indie to the degree where it's not owned by like the major studios. But at the same time, they're also still pouring like $20 million into some of these. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 They're like, yeah. They told you know. Colette to scream on camera. Then they are not indie. Yeah. <laughs> Incidentally, I do sort of have a crush on her. I just want to get also, that out there. Also, yeah. um, I think we all do. Hot tip: uh, Hereditary is now on HBO, and I almost watched it the other oh, day. Oh my goodness! Oh man! <laughs> I'm, I not watching. I'm not watching. You know, I, th that's a movie. I, I, I'm I'm so glad I saw it. I thought it was fantastic, and I don't think I can watch it again. It, I found it so disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was at the first screening of it at Sundance. Oh, wow. And watching people's reactions to it was like art. It actually oh, was funny because I was sitting there with uh, Sam Zimmerman from Shudder. Oh, yeah. Um, who, I'm gonna, he's, he, won't be at, he won't be at Sundance this year because I believe his wife is expecting. Um, so I'm going to really miss his sweater game this year because he's got an amazing <laughs> sweater game. But like... Because we're sort of hardened horror fans, like I loved it, yeah. and I was yeah. I was on the complete the ride from beginning to end. But like watching grown adults like curl up in chairs, yeah, yeah, or screaming or holding hands over their eyes, or people like had to leave because they were so freaked out. Oh, it was yeah. like amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. It was like it was just like oh yeah, we're we're witnessing something that's going to totally mess people up because like that. Yeah. That first moment, and you're like, "Oh, oh, we're going here," <laughs> and then yes, it just keeps are. getting worse. Yeah. yeah. Holy crap! Yeah. Wow, yeah. isn't it amazing though? We, we've all talked about this, but the power of of cinema—the fact that creative individuals got together 
and they created this work of fiction, you know, and through artistry uh, of, you know, of, of uh, any number of types, they literally had people leaving the theater, covering their eyes, you know. Um, it just, it's just amazing to me. You know, the, 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 the like you said, it, it sort of comes back to that, uh, 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 the suspension of disbelief, uh, magic tricks, all that. Uh, yeah. And of course, for a lot of us, it's, it's those special makeup effects that, uh, you know, will, will stick with us forever. But uh, I hate to do this, but we have, we've been yammering on for about an hour. <laughs> I will do that. I apologize. Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, no, no. Always. <laughs> we're, always. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're masters of going way over time. So we, we are, but just in, I suppose in the interest of giving our, our, our six or seven listeners uh, <laughs> a, bit, a bit of a break, I guess we should probably start to wind down. Uh, Heather, could you tell us uh, where, where would you, where would you like people to go to get their own personal copies of not only the most recent book, but uh, the first volume? And then when it comes, the third volume. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, so if you go over to AM Inc. Publishing, which is A-M-I-N-K and then publishing.com, uh, if you click on the little dark link, or sorry, dark link, dark ink link i can totally say these things um you'll find uh that's like their whole collection of um like sort of horror themed stuff which uh the series is a part of and you can order both sure. of them there. and i think they're actually a little bit cheaper there than they are on amazon um but of course the book is also available on amazon barnes and noble um weirdly enough also walmart and target's websites too which i always think is really strange really walmart. yeah i don't think i don't think i will ever make stores but i'm on the website <laughs> so that's something oh wow and and here's this is going to come out of left field if somebody really wants an autograph copy is there a way for them to do that i'm working on it because i like we i know if you go to dark delicacies website there are still some signed copies okay of the book there i mean i think there's only like three or four sure um but if you want to if you want a signed copy from them um if you go to darkdell.com -E you can find it in there and it's signed by myself and then uh two of the artists who are in the book which is steve wang and norman cabrera oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah and then i'm working on trying to figure out how to do this for people because i've had people ask me and it could be a little bit of an an undertaking to kind of like organize like an online store. Oh, absolutely! Well, just just shipping from your you know your home alone. I mean, I I I, I live in the children's picture book world, and so I, I've given up trying to keep copies of every book on hand because it would one <laughs> first of all it would break me, and secondly I can't really afford to ship them to a lot of people. It, it all costs me more than it's worth, quite frankly, and so I I, I get that, but. At the same time, those of us who are fans love having, you know, autographs from people like yourself who, who bring us the things we crave. So we will we will keep an eye on that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm hopefully going to have something together this year because especially okay. with the third book coming out and then eventually the fourth. Um, oh, and as far as the third book is, do you have just a rough estimate of when we should keep our eyes? Uh, open? It'll it'll most likely be fall. 2023 okay. so I'm, okay. I'm kind of trying to stay like around the halloween season yep yep um just because awesome. it gives every like each book a year to kind of be out there and breathe yep. and stuff like that yeah so yeah and then hopefully volume four will be fall 2024 <laughs> kind of worked out in that way where it was like volume one was 2021 volume two was 2022 uh i don't think i could ever plan something like that again <laughs> Take well, advantage of it if you can. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It, so we may have to get together and chat about that again at some point in the future. So. Oh, I would love it. This was, this has been so much fun for me. Well, I'm so glad. Thank, thanks, Heather, for, for joining us. Um, and Heather, where can people find you to interact with you on the internet? Yes. Oh, yes. So these days I'm still 
hanging out a little bit here and there on Twitter while waiting to see if the ship eventually goes down or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're all kind of watching. We're all sort of waiting. in that waiting mode. We'll all, yeah. we'll all crawl onto the same uh, same floating door. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe some scavengers will come up and pick up the bones and you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm I'm hopeful. So, um, yes. but yeah. So I'm over there. Um, and I'm working on trying to be better about doing Instagram, I guess, because that's what the cool kids do. And I've just, <laughs> I've just neglected it for so many years. But uh, sure. both of those, you can find me um, at the horror check. At the um, horror check, which is a great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It was kind of my nickname when I went away to college the first time, like in the 90s, because like I had like most people had like normal stuff in the room and I had like four huge containers of VHS tapes and so like <laughs> and, I love it <laughs> and two of them were specifically all horror movies yes <laughs> so people knew if they needed to rent a horror movie they came to borrow but I guess they kind of rented like everybody would just come visit me to like like you know basically watch movies uh, I had to create like a like a, a sign out sheet and stuff like that I was like wow. in a little mini video store <laughs> but yeah, but it's like once, like sometimes, like somebody was like, "Oh, the, the, you know, like oh, you want to go watch? You, you want to watch Scream? Like go to over to the horror chick over there. She's got you covered." It's a horror chick. That's that nice. Yeah, nice. and it just kind of stuck. So it was. Well, it also like when I started back in the day, like everybody kind of had monikers. Yeah. Where like you know Ryan Turk was like Ryan Rotten and stuff like that. So <laughs> I was like, well, I could take this weird offhanded comment that kind of kept, caught on when I was in college and make that into a thing. So well, I, we, we, we think Perfect. it's wonderful. Oh, we, we, we have been speaking with the wonderful Heather Wixon, and she is, among many things, the author of Monsters, Makeup and Effects, uh, Volumes 1 and 2, soon to be Volume 3, and eventually Volume 4. These are conversations with cinema's greatest artists uh and and uh all i can say is it's highly recommended we definitely have a copy down here in the deep dark lounge and we will we will we will have more as as they're available so thanks again heather have a have a wonderful evening thanks for talking with us thank you guys so much for this this conversation it was so much fun and it was just like great to like talk about like these artists that i love but also kind of geek out about horror too so i just Absolutely. really appreciated that hey that's what we're here for <laughs> us anytime yep. i i would i would love to be back please, that'd be great please do you. thank you have a good night thank you everybody have a great evening as always our music was created by the amazing kevin mcleod and you can hear more of kevin's music at incompetech.com cheers <laughs> <laughs>